Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Peter, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. Mad Prophet of the Airwaves, and welcome once again to Radio Free Canada. News, notes, and opinions from the underground for Tuesday, January 17th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. Good afternoon, especially, especially to the journalists representing the independent media who are on the ground in Davos, Switzerland, covering the 2023 annual World Economic Forum meeting, Rebel News, and True North, doing actual journalism, actual journalism. Just a reminder that Reuters has a partnership with the WEF for exclusive reporting there. Reuters journalists are invited as special guests. And James Smith, who is president and CEO of Thomson Reuters, is also on the board of Pfizer. And Pfizer is also at the World Economic Forum. As the uh, late, great George Carlin said, it's a big club and you ain't in it. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. 
They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets and they own all the big media companies. So they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. It's a big club and you ain't in it. Absolutely right. Any uh, any idea why the head of the FBI, Christopher Ray, would be at the World Economic Forum? Anyone else find that strange or, let's say, a little unsettling? And also, why is failed CNN host Brian Stelter sitting on the clear and present danger of disinformation panel? I mean, <laughs> irony upon irony, CNN right up there in terms of spreading disinformation with Rachel Maddow the CDC, and the federal government of Canada. Why is a senior VP of MasterCard on this same panel, disinformation panel? So we have the World Economic Forum focusing on implementing a central bank digital currency. That's one of the main themes this year. And we've heard speakers uh, previously talking about a carbon credit card that'll cut you off That'll cut off your credit once you reach your maximum carbon footprint. And we have now we have this disinformation panel. So if you have the wrong opinions, I mean, that's what they mean by disinformation, the wrong opinions. You're not compliant and you have the wrong opinions. So somehow this could all be tied into a central bank digital currency. And MasterCard seems very interested in that. Again, rather unsettling. And then there's another panel discussing brain thought monitoring, brain monitoring. So you don't even have to tweet out your wrong opinions. You don't even have to write a blog. You just have to think the wrong opinions. And the WEF is working on a solution for that brain monitoring. Think the wrong opinion and your central bank digital currency will be locked. And I'm sure Christian Freeland, our deputy dimwit, granddaughter of a Nazi propagandist, bending a knee to Klaus Schwab, the son of a Nazi. I'm sure Christian Freeland can advise on how best to freeze bank accounts. She's had some practice. I'm sure deputy dum-dum would love to be able to freeze your digital currency account. It'll be so much easier. But of course, this is all just a silly conspiracy theory. I've been talking a lot about the culture of death that permeates this country, the direct result of pushing God from the public square, the direct result of decades of radical progressive ideology infiltrating every institution in the West. I mean, it's now considered an extreme position to want to give medical care and comfort to a child that survives an abortion procedure. Imagine that. That's now considered a far-right extremist policy. An infant miraculously survives an abortion procedure now outside the womb, lying on a, uh, a table. And the left, the radical left, is opposed to providing care, medical care and comfort to that child. That's an extreme right wing position. And of, of course, in this country, since 1988, it's the Wild West when it comes to abortion. We have no abortion law, none. It's not a constitutional right. 
It's not in the Charter of Rights. It's not it's not health care. It's medical homicide. And now we have abortionists also euthanizing mentally ill patients in this country who are incapable of consenting to being euthanized. And Dr. Death, Dr. Ellen Weeb brags about it and she makes jokes about it. And she's not disciplined by the B.C. College of Physicians. And we have a crime minister. Who publicly stated on more than one occasion, he's an admirer of China's dictatorship. So in China. In China, you have forced organ harvesting. And the regime targets specific ethnic and religious minorities that are in camps for this forced organ, uh, forced organ harvesting. And they also harvest organs and traffic organs around the world that are taken from executed political prisoners. Nice, right? I mean, why do we have any relations whatsoever with the CCP? This is one of the most vile and evil regimes in history, and our prime minister is an admirer. The CCP is right up there with Nazi Germany. And yet, the CCP is operating police stations in this country so they can spy on and harass Chinese Canadians. So it's obvious Trudeau loves the CCP. He and his government are severely compromised and falling in line with the CCP. So consider our medical assistance in dying law that we have, which is completely off the rails, as I've discussed a number of times. We have counselors at Veterans Affairs Canada counseling vets to consider suicide when they call the helpline. If trends continue, euthanasia or medical homicide, which is what it is, that'll become one of the leading causes of death in this country. Now, so here's where the organ transplant angle comes in. A growing number of patients who request medical assistance in dying are asking to donate their organs for transplant. This according to an international review which found that Canada is performing the most organ transplants from made patients among the four countries studied that, uh, that studied that offered this practice. This report, this is a, on the CTV News, their website, the report is the first ever review of the growing use of this new practice around the world. The review was conducted in 2021, and the results were formally published in December of 2022. Data collected for the paper shows that in Canada, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Spain combined, 286 assisted death recipients provided life-saving organs for transplant to 837 patients in the years up to and including 2021. So is that how it works? The counselors at Veterans Affairs, after suggesting that these poor vets who are suffering from PTSD after suggesting they consider suicide, maybe the next question is, and have you filled out your organ donor card? Because on your way out, we could really use your organs. I was rather proud, says Arthur Schaefer, director of the Center for Professional and Applied Ethics, Ethics at the University of Manitoba. I was rather proud, he says, that Canada has done so well in terms of organ donation by made patients. Made patients. They're not patients. They're victims. Of medical homicide, you fool. So there you go. Feeling depressed? Can't qualify for government-assisted housing? Suffering from PTSD after two tours of duty in Afghanistan? Let us end your suffering. 
let us euthanize you. But before we do, please take a moment and fill out your organ donor card. We're just cattle. We're cattle. If you're vaccine free, they'll gladly take your organs. But you can't have one if you need one. See how that works? All right, coming up on the show today, Space News with Dr. Jesse Rogerson. We'll take, uh, we'll talk about uh, whether we should live on the moon. Not me personally, but whether we should uh, and why we should establish colonies on the moon. Yesterday was the uh, 2023 World Economic Forum uh, kickoff, their annual meeting. This sinister cabal of very powerful, influential, not well-meaning individuals are plotting to make your lives more miserable. David Creighton, senior parliamentary columnist for the Western Standard, will be here in hour two to discuss this hour. The homeschool advisor, Ruth Gazgovsky, with part two on our discussion on the TikTok brain endemic that is destroying a generation of young minds. And why are our public schools failing to deal with TikTok brain and what can be done about it. But first, Ontario Premier Doug Ford is planning on making some minor tweaks to the way healthcare in Ontario is delivered, expanding the role of private clinics to reduce waiting times for things like hip and knee replacements and cataract surgery. And even this, even this little minor adjustment has the left absolutely apoplectic, incomplete hysterics. Oh, you're destroying our universal healthcare system. Seriously? doesn't go nearly far enough as far as I'm concerned. Aaron Woodrick from the McDonald Laurier Institute is next with his thoughts. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Tuesday, Jan 17th. Keep your stick on the ice. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. So Premier Doug Ford wants to take some minor steps towards... Uh, I guess lessening wait times for, I think there's something like, well, over 200,000 people awaiting surgery in the province. It's a horrible backlog. So he wants to tweak the way healthcare is provided in Ontario. Minor little adjustments. And the left, of course, oh, you're privatizing healthcare. This is a violation of the Canada Healthcare Act. We won't have this, we won't have the nurses to staff all of these private clinics. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't go nearly far enough. Canada Healthcare Act be damned. We don't need to tinker. We need to blow it up and make some substantial changes. Aaron Woodrick is a lawyer and the director of the McDonald Laurier Institute's domestic policy program, and he joins us now. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you? Very well. Uh, so it's predictable, right? The, uh, some minor tweaks to the uh, the way the healthcare is delivered. He wants to expand what is already being done. I mean, this idea yeah. that we have, you know, universal health care, it's one tier. I mean, that's that's just foolish to even think that um, we already have, for example, not far from where I'm sitting, the. Um, um, oh, they do the hernia operations. Uh, it's one of the finest in the world. It's it's private, it, but it's covered by OHIP. What are your your give me your general thoughts on on these uh, minor adjustments, just expanding um, private clinics, you know, to provide hip and knee replacement surgeries and yeah. cataract surgeries and so forth? 
Well, first of all, they're no-brainers. I mean, these small steps uh, are better than nothing. I, I agree with you. I think they need to go a lot further. But the, what, I, what I'm most happy about is that someone's finally willing to break the taboo. Mm-hmm. We finally, I mean, and I, if I had to put money on it, I wouldn't have bet that it would have been Doug Ford that would stick his neck out on this. But he's, he's realized, and I think a lot of people, a lot of Ontarians have realized that things are so bad right now that we need to try uh, something new. And and in a way, as you said, a lot of this stuff isn't that new. Uh, People throw this word private around. And I really have to to wonder if if you didn't tell people that these were private, private clinics, right? And they just showed up and they paid with their health care. Would they, would they even know? Would they even care? And yet you, you use that, you hear that word privatization, people sort of spit it out almost like it's a swear word. And I, it just strikes me as a really strange way to view things, Richard, because this kind of debate um, doesn't really happen anywhere else in the world. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're talking about France or Sweden or Switzerland or Australia, Japan, these are countries that all have universal public uh, universal payer healthcare systems with both public and private elements. And you don't have this kind of weird fixation on things being publicly delivered. I think you're right. As long as, as long as people can access these services with their health card, which is exactly what's happening are these reforms, why should people be bothered with whether or not the operator is private or public? Right. Uh, it's the Shouldice Clinic, which was what I was trying to That's think. That's right. I mean, people uh, from all around the world come to the Shouldice. They do one yep. thing, hernia operations. And again, covered by OHIP, uh, but it is for profit. And that's a dirty word for the left. Uh, what did this, what about the, the argument that this is going to siphon off resources from our hospitals like nurses and the uh, Ontario College of Nurses has said as much? Do you agree with that? Well, look, the challenge with healthcare generally is finding new people, right? Whether it's within the public or private system. I think by doing it this way, you're basically, you're placing the burden of finding those people on a different party and they have an incentive to find them, right? So you're shifting the incentive. So, I mean, everyone is struggling, not just in healthcare, in a lot of sectors, they can't find workers. It's especially bad in healthcare. But, uh, you know, my response to, to, to that, um, concern is, well, we already have the problem in the, in the private sector, in the public sector. Um, this is bringing a new player into the marketplace that has an an incentive to find that labor. They're going to look harder. They're going to, they might have to pay more. Um, so I think that's a good thing. I think that will increase the total supply of labor. I don't think it's a matter of just stealing it away from, uh, from public hospitals. Right. Maybe some of these private clinics could think about rehiring some of the unvaccinated nurses. We'll uh, take a quick time out. Aaron Woodrick is a lawyer and the director of the McDonald Laurier Institute's domestic policy program. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, discuss further. And then after that, I'm going to open up the phone lines 289-275-9600. Would you like to see these modest measures that the premier has taken expanded? I mean, let's get really serious about this. Let's open up more for-profit private clinics to handle more knee and hip replacement surgeries, more cataracts, uh, more uh, clinics for uh, MRIs and and, um, x-rays and so forth. Back with more of the Richard Serrachel right after these. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrachel. Ontario taking some teeny tiny baby steps uh, to help reduce waiting times for surgery for 206,000 people in the province who are waiting for surgery. He wants to uh, fund an additional 14,000 cataract surgeries annually that would be performed in existing eye care centers. In other words, private clinics, for-profit uh, clinics that would reduce cataract surgery wait lists by about 25%. Again, these are baby steps. Wants to uh, increase uh, of funding so that uh, for for uh, profit clinics can perform more 
hip surgeries, more knee surgeries. And again, take the burden off the, the, uh, the, uh, the hospitals. You can still use your old hip card. One of the other, uh, oh, Aaron Wudrick uh, is with us, lawyer, director of the McDonald Laurier Institute's domestic policy program. The other thing that people are concerned about, uh, Aaron, is upselling. So, for example, you'll go to one of these for-profit clinics for uh, a cataract surgery or eye surgery, and they want to upsell you on a better lens that's not covered by OHIP. And to that, I say, who cares? What's wrong with that? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Yeah, I'm struggling to find out what what, what the problem is there. Um, as long as you're not forced to do that, as long as you have the option of taking the the one that's uh, that's paid through for your OHIP, what, what's the downside, right? You're essentially giving people more choice. So I find this complaint of all the complaints uh, one of the weirdest ones. Um, you know, giving people an additional choice, they're, they're, it's hard to see really what the downside is. Right. I mean, there's nothing in here that is requiring uh, you to use your own money or private uh, or yeah. sorry, your private medical insurance, because that's illegal. That's not allowed under the the uh, the, the health um, Canada Health Care Act. Um, now, what are other provinces doing uh, like in, in Ontario? As I say, we have some private clinics, but there are other provinces that are further down this road than we are. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've seen it in Saskatchewan and Quebec. I mean, Quebec has been a leader in a lot of these private clinics. And in fact, uh, just about a year ago, I mean, they they did basically the same thing for the same reason. They had long wait lists for surgeries. They announced that they were going to uh, use private clinics more than they had been. Um, I don't recall it having anywhere near the sort of level of controversy that we're seeing in Ontario, which is bizarre because <laughs> I mean, this is our neighboring province and uh, they're doing essentially the same thing. So I, you know, I I think there's a lot of strange politics here, Richard, as we know, healthcare in this country, for some people, it, it's, it's a lot more than just healthcare. It's an identity. It's a, it's a sort of mythology. And so it, it becomes less about bread and butter things like, you know, getting surgery when you need it, getting a family doctor when you can access it and more about uh, signaling and morality. And I think that's, that's really unfortunate because really we should want policies that work, that have better outcomes. Uh, I think most people, frankly, are pretty ambivalent about who's running a hospital or, or a clinic. Uh, as long as they can get timely care and they can pay for it with their health card, I just don't think too many people are fussed about whether it's public or private. Yeah, I, I like what you said, that this is more about this mythology or virtue signaling. It's like they would rather we die on a waiting list, waiting for a, uh, you know, a, a, a public uh, hospital surgeon, you know, to be yeah. made available. They'd rather we die than give in to this 
this idea of, you know, including more for-profit clinics. It's, I mean, it's really, uh, I don't know how to explain it other than it's just, uh, it's delusional and it's this ideology has to end. I, I think, Richard, honestly, it, it's a fixation on the United States. I think a lot of people define our health care system as in opposition to the United States, which in a lot of ways it is. I mean, they're both polar opposites in a world where they're outliers on either end, right? And so a lot of Canadians believe that health care is one of the things that makes us different from America. But what I think people don't realize is... Well, I was alluding to earlier how healthcare systems work in most of the rest of the world, in the types of countries that, frankly, progressives and those on the left always point to and say, we need to copy these countries, Sweden, Switzerland, Finland, France, Japan. I mean, these have country, these are countries with strong social safety nets, high levels of taxes, and yet they all have public private system. So this is the question I often put to them is sort of like, what, what is your objection to Swedish healthcare or Swiss healthcare? Because that's really what they're opposing when they're opposing the types of things that, uh, that Doug Ford is proposing. Right. There's there's only three countries on the planet that I know of that deliver health care with you have one provider and one payee. That's government provider, government um, payee. And that is Canada, North Korea and Cuba. Yeah, not exactly the flattering uh, comparators that you want to be in the same category as. Right. But I guess I guess I would also say to people uh, and I've made this point uh, this week on social media that if our system is so good, why isn't it that any other country has copied it? Right. I mean, countries are not shy about stealing things that they think are effective and work. So if our system is so good and, and, and so effective and so beloved, why has literally no other country on earth said, Hey, you know what? Canada is the model that we want to copy. I, I, I think that that's a, that's a real tell right there. Absolutely. Aaron, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I uh, look forward to more conversations this year. Thanks a lot, Richard. Aaron Woodrick, lawyer and the director of the McDonald Laurier Institute's domestic policy program. All right. We're going to open up the phone lines and I want you to weigh in with your thoughts. Would you like to see more for-profit clinics, perhaps even for-profit hospitals operating within the province to reduce wait times? Let's hire more nurses. Let's hire more doctors. Let's hire the unvaccinated nurses that were unceremoniously and cruelly uh, fired that are sitting on the sidelines. If they haven't already left the province, sitting on the sidelines, waiting to get back to work. I mean, let's not just take these little tiny baby steps. I am. I agree with Aaron Woodrick. I'm. I'm grateful, and I have to give credit to the to the uh, the premier for finally breaking this ice jam and starting this conversation at long last. Way way overdue. Introducing some for-profit in the province, but I say we need more. What say you? 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. Back with your calls right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Not sure if you can hear me. My internet's getting a little shaky, so we may have to go to some uh, previously enjoyed conversations if it uh, if it drops again. It's it's dropping in and out intermittently. Two eight nine two seven five ninety six hundred. If uh, Jacob or Declan, you could give me a, a thumbs up as to whether you can hear me. Two eight nine two seven five. Good ninety six hundred. We're still on the air. Two eight nine two seven five ninety six hundred. And again, talking about 
the uh, province here in Ontario, the premier, the health minister, taking some baby steps towards including or expanding the role of for-profit clinics, which we already have. I mentioned the Shouldice Clinic just uh, a few minutes from where I'm sitting. World-renowned, performs... Um, um, what do you call hernia hernia operations? And uh, it's a privately owned clinic. They're for profit, but it's covered by OHIP. So you have one payer, the government, and you have multiple providers. That's the way it works in most of the world. But here we have this this dogma, this uh, ideological, as as Aaron Woodrick referred to it from uh, the McDonald Laurier Institute. It's 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 this mythology. That, uh, you know, we, we, we must never, ever mess around with our universal healthcare system, which is not universal, nor has it ever been, really. This idea that we have one tier, universal, universal access. We have people dying in ER um, emergency rooms across the country now. Our medical, our healthcare system is in shambles. Nowhere worse, probably, than in Ontario. And... It's time, way past time, to expand for-profit facilities, clinics, surgery, uh, places that uh, perform surgeries like hip and knee replacement surgery and cataract surgery. And while you're there, if the people that are running these clinics want to try and upsell you on a better knee that's not covered by OHIP or a better lens for your eye, that's up to you. That's your choice. And then you can pay out of pocket. That's an option. It's funny how the left, they want, they want choices for everything except health care and education. While our present system is just, it's broken. It's broken. And yet the left want to keep going back and, and, and doubling and tripling down on this current system and insisting, no, we can't mess around with it. It's broken, folks. And you know what Einstein said, the definition of insanity, trying the same thing again and again and again and again and expecting a different. This is New Sox Saga 960 AM, and this is The Richard Serrett Show. 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600, the number to get on board. I would like your uh, your opinion about the modest baby steps that Ontario Premier Doug Ford has made to to reduce the waiting time for surgeries. We have 205,000 people in this province that are waiting for surgery, cataracts, knee and hip replacements, and more serious surgeries. But there is such a backlog, thanks to a number of things, certainly the ill-advised, unscientific response to COVID, which was just completely bungled. That's another story for another time, and I've talked ad nauseum about it. The second issue is just misappropriation of funds. The cost of servicing the debt in this province could build state-of-the-art hospitals every year. Five or six or seven brand-new state-of-the-art hospitals. But they've mismanaged the public purse. Surprise, surprise. And so here we are, people literally dying in emergency rooms waiting for care. Nothing has been done about it. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The home. 
homeschool advisor on The Richard Serrett Show. All right, welcome back. Uh, I apologize for the uh, dodgy internet on my end. I've cut out a few times. Let's hope it... uh it holds on for the duration of the show, but we may at some point have to cut away to some previously enjoyed conversations. Uh, I want to uh, pick up on a conversation with Ruth Gaskowski, our homeschool advisor uh, that we had started last week, actually on TikTok brain. There was a, a big piece in the national post about this TikTok brain has uh, been identified as this endemic that is really destroying children's ability uh, to focus and learn. And uh, we sort of spent some time going in depth on what TikTok brain is and how it affects children's ability to focus and learn. Now we're going to discuss, you know, what can be done about it. Ruth Gaskowski is a, uh, a homeschooling parent and the founder of HumanitasFamily.net. Ruth, how are you? Excellent, Richard. Thanks for having me. So let's let's begin by asking, you know, why are schools currently failing in addressing this problem of TikTok brain? Yeah, I think schools uh, play one of the main roles in addressing it. And also, interestingly, they actually do have the authority to address it, but they fail. So why do they? Uh, They can restrict access to phones and they could follow through with it, but they do not. So the interesting part is that it's not the students who are failing to follow through, but that it's actually the adults in this setting. So one Ontario teacher kind of commented quite clearly on uh, a scenario that is very common in Ontario schools. So an administration decides, for example, that students can no longer use various devices during class time, but it's up to the staff to enforce it. Uh, Now, if the students don't follow it, the vice principal comes in, he he was brought in, and then the vice principal states, well, if you'd like to use it and you feel the need to, then go ahead. So it all falls apart again. So schools may have rules, but the adults do not follow through with them. And it's actually, it reflects our apparently poor record in upholding school discipline. Uh, Canada, believe it or not, is ranked 60th out of 77 participating nations in disciplinary climate. And that means uh, students who were asked about the state of student discipline in their classes um, showed in their responses there was over 600,000 15-year-olds who were asked on this. And it shows that there is very little disciplinary action if students don't respond to authority in the classroom. And um, so if discipline isn't enforced on all levels, um, the whole effort crumbles. Um, Many teachers might say, well, you know, it infringes on students' freedom and we must help them make better choices. But I think we're well past the point of being able to make good choices, especially when it comes to something as addictive as TikTok. And it's kind of like saying, well, let's allow the goldfish to make better choices in a tank of piranhas. (laughs) It's not really something that makes sense in that context. And um I think it kind of giving students the freedom to use cell phones now whenever they want is kind of trading valuable and enduring freedom that they would get later on in life um, from having developed the self-discipline and developed the attention. So if the schools obviously aren't going to do anything about uh, cell phones and and, uh, these apps, social media apps like TikTok, what can parents, what should parents do? 
Yeah, I think, you know, parents are obviously at the core um, of, of the solution to the problem. And when we look at ourselves, I think um, parents bear a lot of the responsibility for the problem because children are mirrors of their parents. The current generation of children has actually grown up with parents texting while pushing them on the swing or parents at the supper table with screens in reach. And so many of these children have grown up trying to kind of fight for the attention of their parents. So while the TikTok brain is alarming, I think it kind of reflects what researchers see as kind of an escalation of the lack of attention and connection children and teens actually experience in their life in general. And um, uh, Jonathan Haidt wrote in a New York Times article that I've linked to my website as well, kind of like the smartphone has brought about this planetary rewiring of human interaction. And as they've become more common, they've re transformed kind of our relationship with peers, but also family relationships. And I think this is where parents can come in and, and try and help um, reset things and to reconnect with their children. And the first part would be to really model undivided attention. So that means, you know, when you speak with children, power off your phones and lay them aside. We have to start by role modeling it. And if we don't, they don't see it reflected anywhere around them. And developing this connection with the children can happen by asking open-ended questions. And although it may seem sort of counterintuitive, like asking them about what kinds of videos they're actually viewing on their apps and what they find funny or weird or interesting about them helps to actually open up communication and trust and kind of longer conversation maybe about what's actually going on in their lives. Because children who feel connected to their parents, they're much more likely to respond and to respect the limits uh, that are they may be given on phone and screen use. And, you know, taking time to share activities that don't involve screen time, like going outside, doing sports or cooking or going to a cafe or drawing. There's so many things that are actually part of real life outside that are much, much more engaging. And I would also suggest that parents who really see that their children are struggling and it's becoming a real problem, not just for the child, but for the family as a whole, there is a site called uh, GameQuitters.com that offers really helpful resources for parents who are struggling with this issue in their family, with their children. And they even offer free uh, webcam consults for like 20 minutes to give very concrete advice and help and guidance. And um, that's been a very uh, helpful website to maybe reach out to for those who feel they can't deal with it on their own. Give us that website again, Ruth, please. It's called GameQuitters.com. GameQuitters.com. And uh, also it will draw uh, people's attention to the website where you've posted an article there. Again, that's humanitasfamily.net, H-U-M-A-N, as in human, I-T-A-S, humanitasfamily.net. So let's bring it back to homeschooling. What advantage does homeschooling offer uh, in curing TikTok brain? I think because parents and students spend essentially all their entire day together in a homeschool setting, um, homeschoolers are generally much more receptive to rules or limits with regard to tech use in general. They have a closer parental connection, and that also means that they have more uh, meaningful relationships in their lives. 
And uh, data shows that children who overuse social media are often very disconnected uh, from real-life relationships. They feel disconnected from adults around them and from peers around them. And within a homeschool setting, there are a lot more real-life people within the family around you continuously. And also, the circle of friends tends to be smaller and there is less peer pressure to participate in social media because children are engaged in actual real-life activities. Uh, when I speak with homeschoolers, I think they often see social media more as a waste of time because they see how much time can just be scrolled away into nothing. Well, you could be doing many more interesting things outdoors, with your hobbies, or doing work. So they're less likely to actually engage in social media behavior. Um, and another advantage for the TikTok brain is um, you, learning can happen in a more focused way. Phones aren't around or laptops aren't around during study time, and the parent has control over that, which actually helps them to develop these healthy pathways of attention, which then are more likely to give them self-control in uh, using any kind of uh, tech or media around them. So I think homeschooling kind of provides a rich foundation that makes it much less likely for uh, students to fall victim to TikTok brain. All right. Again, a great article up at humanitasfamily.net. Ruth Gaskowski, our homeschool advisor. Great work as always, Ruth. We'll talk again next week. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. All right. I'm going to go and reset my modem. And when we come back, hour two, David Creighton, senior Parliament Hill columnist for the Western Standard, will be here. We'll talk about the World Economic Forum. He says it's a conspiracy in plain sight, and Trudeau is a willing disciple. Plus, last order of business, space news with Dr. Jesse Rogerson, assistant professor of astrophysics at York University. Should people live on the moon? That's all coming up. Hour two of The Richard Serrett Show. Don't miss it right here. Saga 960. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! 
Welcome to Hour 2 of The Richard Serrett Show. Check out the website, therichardserrettshow.com, therichardserrettshow.com. You can learn about my wonderful cast of regular contributors like Ruth Gaskowski and uh, Dr. Jesse Rogerson, our uh, astrophysicist friend who joins me a little bit later in the program. All the regular contributors' pictures and bios are uh, found on the About page at therichardserrettshow.com. You can listen to previous episodes, all of them dating back to March of 2021 when we launched this fine radio program. You can um, access those on the Listen page, and of course, you can reach out to me via email through the contact page, therichardserrettshow.com, therichardserrettshow.com. 289-275-9600. That's the number to get on board. You might want to keep that number handy. I uh, plan on opening up the phone lines a little bit later this hour. I tried to get this conversation going earlier about the uh, Premier of Ontario and his plans to expand the role of private health care clinics in the province to alleviate the waiting times for over 200,000 Ontarians who are waiting for surgery and are healthcare system in this province is crumbling. I mean, it was totally exposed during the pandemic. Not because of the pandemic, of course, but because of the response to the pandemic and because of the mishandling of the public purse. Because we are paying, we are spending so much money now just servicing the debt, interest payments on the debt, we could be building seven, eight, state-of-the-art hospitals every year in this province. We could have, for the last 15, 20 years, we, we could have so much capacity in the healthcare system that we never would have had to have resorted to this ridiculous anti-scientific lockdown. It wasn't because COVID was out of control. It was because we had no capacity. We don't have the ICU beds Every flu season, we go through the same nonsense. Anyway, I don't want to belabor that point. But I wanted to get that conversation going a little bit earlier. Whether you think it's time for even more for-profit clinics in the province. I certainly do. But the, province, or, but the, uh, the, the um, premier has taken some baby steps. And at least he's finally started the conversation. And yet the left has gone completely bananas. How dare you? How dare you interfere with our beloved universal health care system? As if that somehow is what defines this country. It is not. A little bit later, as I say, Dr. Jesse Rogerson will be here. A relatively new segment on the program that we do at uh, 548 every Tuesday. Space News. That's a temporary name. We'll come up with a better one. Uh, But we'll talk about, there's a great article about whether we should be living on the moon. Why we should live on the moon, how we can live on the moon. And uh, Jesse Rogerson, assistant professor of astrophysics at York University, will be here to discuss that. Good evening. And a very cordial welcome to the annual meeting 
2023. I express this cordial welcome on behalf of the Board of Trustees and my colleague, Holger Brendt, is the President, and all the members of the Management Board, as well as all the people who are here to make your stay here enjoyable and productive. We couldn't meet at a more challenging time. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it need to master the future? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged. Governments, business, civil society, the young generation, I could go on. I think it's a first step to meet all the challenges. There you go. Baron Bomberst, a.k.a. Klaus Schwab, the son of a Nazi, and uh, the, um, the villain du jour, the head of the World Economic Forum. My understanding is immediately after, this was yesterday, this uh, opening address as the uh, 2023 annual meeting of the World Economic Forum kicked off, just after making this opening statement, he uh, basically withdrew from the World Economic Forum. Not sure what's happening there. Also, reportedly, so did Bill Gates and George Soros. I don't know if these are health-related issues. Not sure what's going on. It is rather puzzling. However, Klaus Schwab wants to master the future, our future, behind closed doors. And it's curious, some of the attendees, I mentioned this earlier, in case you missed it. FBI Director Christopher Wray is at the World Economic Forum. Why? James Smith is President and CEO of Thomson Reuters. And uh, coincidentally, (laughs) not so, also on the board of Pfizer. And of course, Pfizer is also at the World Economic Forum. Now, Reuters... They're supposed to be there covering the news, asking tough questions. Of course, they're not. They're being wined and dined because they have a partnership with the World Economic Forum. I mean, that's just not on. You don't do that. You're supposed to be an unbiased, independent, news-gathering organization. You don't play footsie and get cozy with the World Economic Forum. Anyway, they're there as invited guests. They're not actually there doing their job. That's being left to the independent news outlets like Rebel News and I know Andrew Lawton is there from True North. Anyway, we were hoping to have uh, David Creighton with us to discuss. David is the uh, Parliamentary Hill columnist for the Western Standard. He wrote a terrific piece. Trudeau is a willing disciple of the WEF gospel. He talks about how the World Economic Forum is a conspiracy in plain sight, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. So, James Smith, I mentioned, from Reuters, is in attendance. There is a, um, a panel, a major panel on disinformation and how they can curb disinformation. And what do they mean by disinformation? They mean the wrong opinions. Now get this, failed CNN host Brian Stutler is on this panel. What He knows a lot about disinformation. He's one of the great purveyors of disinformation, as is CNN, as is Rachel Maddow. 
as is the uh, the CDC, as is Dr. Fauci, as is the uh, as is Health Canada and Dr. Teresa Tam. But what they mean by disinformation is the wrong opinion. The other major theme at the World Economic Forum is the central uh, central bank digital currency. They desperately want to implement this. And there are apparently nine, nine banks now in the United States that are looking at a, some sort of a test or a pilot project. Imagine the government implementing a central bank digital currency. No more paper money. All of your transactions monitored. If they want to freeze your digital account, that's going to be far easier than it was during the convoy. That was easy enough. And if you have the wrong opinions, and they have a panel for that too, brain monitoring. They're going to figure out not only if you're tweeting and blogging the wrong opinions, if you're thinking the wrong opinions. They're going to cut your uh, or, or, or lock your central bank digital currency account. A conspiracy in plain sight indeed. All right, we'll take a time out. Perhaps when we come back, we'll have David Creighton. Perhaps not. If not, we'll open up the phone lines. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right after these. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Evening. And a very cordial welcome to the annual meeting 20. 23. I express this cordial welcome on behalf of the Board of Trustees and my colleague, Borge Brendt, the President, and all the members of the Management Board, as well as all the people who are here to make your stay here enjoyable and productive. We couldn't meet at a more challenging time. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it need to master the future? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged. Governments, business, civil societies, the young generation, I could go on, I think is a first step to meet all the challenges. Mastering our future. They want to master our future. Now, he pays lip service to this idea of inclusivity. All of the stakeholders must help shape the future, except they're shaping our future right now behind closed doors, and we're not invited. As George Carlin said, it's a big club and we're not in it. James Smith, the CEO of Reuters, who also sits on the board of Pfizer, is there shaping and mastering our future. And Reuters is supposed to be doing some reportage, perhaps some investigative journalists, but no, they're there being wined and dined because they have a wink-wink partnership with the WEF. The head of the FBI is there mastering our future. Our deputy prime minister, deputy dum-dum, Christian Freeland, whose grandfather, and it can't be repeated enough, was a Nazi propagandist, is there mastering our future. 
And this is one of the things that the WEF hates about what Elon Musk has done with Twitter. He has democratized it. And now we can all, all of us useless eaters, which is really what Klaus Schwab considers us to be, useless eaters. But on Twitter, we can all have this huge international conversation about our future. But that's not really what he wants. He wants to master our future behind closed doors. So does Christian Freeland. So, so too does our crime minister. So too does Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, another villain. Bill Gates, same thing. Not sure uh, what happened to uh, David Creighton, but I'm sure we'll catch up with him at another uh, time. But I just wanted to crib here from his article in the Western Standard. Trudeau is a willing disciple of the WEF gospel. He begins, it's that time of year again. The World Economic Forum is meeting in Davos, Switzerland, and what they really discuss will be unknowable. Their work is conducted largely in secret. Nonetheless, the WEF is an open conspiracy that does not even attempt to hide its long-term objectives in a clandestine cloak. Professor Klaus Schwab, founder and executive chairman of the WEF, is very clear that he wants to change your world. He wants to reorder your political system, reorder your political system into something his unelected elites can control. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world, Schwab has infamously said. Those same words were parroted by world leaders and our deputy dim, uh, dimwit, Christian Freeland, as well, like he handed them the script. Remember that? But how narrow is that window? When Schwab said this, he was no doubt thinking that the COVID-19 pandemic could only rage for so long and that the time to use the disease for political purposes would quickly run out. But what do you think the COVID-19 pandemic refuses to die? Why do you think it refuses to die? At least for as, as far as the health authorities and politicians are concerned. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has not backed away from his wealth minister's, sorry, his health minister's desire that all Canadians receive booster shots of the vaccine until they are nestled six feet under the ground. Trudeau continues to talk of reimposing COVID-19 lockdowns if he deems the virus has gotten out of control again. But is anyone listening to Schwab or is the WEF just a mutual admiration society, as one columnist recently suggested? Look no further than our Prime Minister, who has taken his marching orders from Schwab and is implementing the WEF's agenda. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. So this is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually addresses global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. Trudeau can be seen saying in a video recording from September 2020 in an address to the United Nations. He might as well be reading from WEF Talking Points, and he is reimagining an economic system like capitalism and imposing global socialism. Conspiracies don't have to have horns to qualify for the role and conduct political malfeasance. But Schwab is planning for more control, and it sounds like the sort of thing Trudeau would relish. All right, that's uh, David Creighton writing in the Western Standard. We'll come back. I'll uh, continue to read from the article, open up the phone lines as well. 
289-275-9600. Your thoughts on Christia Freelance participation in the World Economic Forum, their 2023 annual meeting. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right after these. The Bull Session continues on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Still waiting for uh, David Creighton from Western, the Western Standard, senior Parliament Hill columnist. And uh, he's apparently trying to uh, to join the Zoom meeting. He had some issues with some freezing rain, but we'll uh, try to work him in here. And I was just reading from his uh, piece in the Western Standard about the World Economic Forum's 2023 annual meeting, which got underway yesterday. And of course, our uh, Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, is there. I'm sure nodding in agreement with all of these sinister, odious policy recommendations as they continue to shape our future, master our future from behind closed doors. Or they might as well be behind closed doors uh, because there's no media other than approved media in attendance. I mentioned James Smith, the CEO of Reuters, has a special relationship with the World Economic Forum. He's there. But uh, certainly won't be doing a deep dive into their sinister plans. So it's left to the brave reporters at Rebel News and Andrew Lawton from True North. And there are others there, I'm sure, independent media who are on the outside looking in, who are being pushed around by the uh, security personnel in Davos or being ignored or threatened by some of the attendees, threatening to throttle them for having the temerity to stick a microphone in their face and ask actual questions. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. Now, I know Pierre Polyev, conservative leader, has said if he becomes prime minister, no one from his government will be allowed to attend a WEF meeting. I think that's a start. I would go further. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. I, th- I would I would write ban the practice. Any I would cut off any ties or affiliations with the WEF. If you're an elected official, I don't care if you're a a dog catcher in Wetaskiwin or the prime minister or the premier. And I would extend that ban to bureaucrats. This is a sinister organization that is not in alignment with our values and all of the policy prescriptions coming out of there are not in alignment 
So they have this disinformation panel. Brian Stelter, the, the, the failed CNN host who was fired because he couldn't create an audience, who, along with Rachel Maddow, is one of the greatest purveyors of disinformation. Imagine he's sitting on the disinformation policy, helping to, or a, a panel, disinformation panel, helping to shape policy at the WEF with regards to disinformation or wrong opinions, in other words. And then the Christian freelands of this world will take this back to cabinet and use her influence to shape policy here in Canada. That's traitorous in my books. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. Just uh, reading here again from David Creighton in the Western Standard. In his absence, thank God Conservative Party leader Pierre Polyev is recognizing the WEF as a clear and present danger to democracy and to Canadian security. He's not allowing any CPC members of Parliament to attend the Davos meeting. Speaking of standing up for the people of this country, next week, I gather, there's a bunch of hoity-toities that are going to place to a place called Davos. I'm going to tell you there will not be a single solitary Conservative member of Parliament, he said. Those who hate individual freedom and political liberty and who want to promote their collectivist dictatorship upon the world think they can rest easy in the knowledge that their critics are dismissed as crackbots and alarmists. Meanwhile, their political program continues to encroach upon our democratic way of life. Too many dictators have been nurtured by the indifference of the population they intend to enslave. It's happened before in the 20th century. We need to take the WEF seriously, and we need to reject its agenda for the world, because at root, it is totalitarian and evil. That's David Creighton writing in the Western Standard. Terrific piece. All right, when we come back, perhaps a little news not in the news, and we'll keep the phone lines open. I'm waiting. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right after these. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 a.m. Craden has joined us from the Western Standard, where he is senior Parliament Hill columnist based in the Ottawa Bureau and is uh, battling some freezing rain. So we're happy you could join us, David. How are you? Fine. I beg your forgiveness for uh, being late here, but we did have some inclement weather and I have to deal with a few issues, but I'm glad to be here. No worries. I'm I'm sorry that you're not on camera. I don't know if you if you can see me on camera. I've I've had it turned off because I'm having some internet problems. But I put this on just for you. I have I just got this for my birthday for my sister, and it's my oh. uh, my Klaus Schwab Klaus Schwab T-shirt. It's got a. I don't know if you can see it. It's got a picture of him, and it says "We have ways." Have ways. Making you talk. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, so I guess they lost your, your your invitation in the mail to the World Economic Forum, David. That's too bad. Um, I was mentioning earlier that, and I, I read your in your absence. I read your uh, terrific piece in the Western Standard, uh, and I was also noting that uh, one of the attendees is the CEO of Reuters, Reuters Thompson, James Smith, who has a special relationship with the WEF. He's 
been he's there at the invitation of uh, Klaus Schwab. He's also a board member of Pfizer. Uh, and Pfizer, of course, is also in attendance at the World Economic Forum. I mean, this is so incestuous. It is. And I, I specifically call this a conspiracy because we shouldn't shy away from, from that word. And, of course, it's a pleasure to be talking to my favorite host of the conspiracy show <laughs> as I say this, because we use the term conspiracy all the time in legal jurisprudence. And it simply means when more than one person are planning or plotting together. Obviously, this is happening with the World Economic Forum. This is uh, clearly they have an agenda. Clearly, they they have an objective that they want to achieve by mowing over the elected governments of the world and imposing their system. And the fact that they've got Pfizer there uh, just cries out that there's something going on here between big pharmacy, the WEF, and governments around the world. I mean, it was Klaus Schwab who said we have to use this pandemic or the Great Reset. It wasn't some crackpot who made up that that expression, Great Reset. It was Klaus Schwab, who might in fact be a crackpot, but he's certainly one with an agenda. And there is an agenda here, and Justin Trudeau is clearly following that agenda, because I showed the, in my column, I have, a, I have a clip from Trudeau talking to the United Nations about the Great Reset, which he says the pandemic allows governments of the world to use, to engage with this Great Reset. And certainly we've seen that in Canada with, with more authoritarian tendencies, the advancement of socialism and the advancement of big government and the insistence by the Trudeau government that we keep taking these booster shots until the day we die. And the, there has been no suggestion that the health minister has backed down on this suggestion, as he would call it. But you just watch that suggestion expand itself into a rule or into a mandatory uh, mandate from this government, because that's how easily they move from suggestion to mandate. Right. And as you point out in your, your article in the Western Standard, uh they keep saying, you know, this is a narrow window of opportunity. I mean, that was like a script that was handed to every world leader. Boris Johnson said it. Christian Freeland said it. Trudeau said it. Joe Biden said it. They Like it was sent down from central casting here. Read this. It's a narrow window of opportunity. Well, because it's a narrow window and they're not done implementing their great reset with with the central bank digital currency and uh, this biomedical security state, that's why they have to keep prolonging uh, this emergency, even though, you know, we were long past out of the pandemic, uh, they got to, because they haven't implemented everything they need to implement yet. So they have to keep it under the umbrella of this medical or this health emergency. Yeah. Well, and we're, we're operating under these emergency powers, just like every authoritarian totalitarian state has used in the past. This, this is the enabling act of the, of the 21st century, you know, which Adolf Hitler used to impose a dictatorial government upon Germany. It, it, it was it was hardly gradual, but it happened it happened very quickly. And the Trudeau government and other governments have been using 
the pandemic as an excuse to expand their powers. And when they think they're running out of time, as you say, exactly, the pandemic has to have legs. And it continues to have legs. And then every new wave of this pandemic has a more sinister <laughs> description for it. Because the idea is for people to live in constant fear. I mean, this is the 1984 world we live in. People are in constant fear of contracting this horrible disease that is going to kill them, even though the evidence is out there. It's not going to kill you. Very few people uh, who are not infants and who are not old, uh, very elderly, are dying of this disease. And this is something we, we need to remember. The only thing we have is uh, to fear is fear itself, as Roosevelt said, and, and I, I don't think he would be, his words would be very accepted by the WEF today. All right. Uh, now, also, you point out uh, Pierre Polyev, leader of the uh, Conservative Party of Canada, said nobody from his party will be allowed to attend. But does that go far enough? Would you like to see a piece of legislation uh, that bars any elected official in Canada, regardless of the uh, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal, dog catcher from Wetaskiwin, from ever attending a WEF or having any affiliation with this sinister organization? I would because this, as you say, this is a sinister organization. It is like a it is like a competing state. There's no question that if you are mixing your values with the WEF, you are bordering on treason. I would say in many cases because the WEF wants to usurp the democratic, elite elected governments of the world. It wants to usurp those governments that are standing in its way. And I think it's almost treasonous to be going to these meetings. And I think Polyev made the, the step in the right direction. And I think he basically he, he had to do that because there is incredible resistance to the WF amongst the, you know, the conservative and the libertarian grassroots in this country. They can see it for what it is. And of course, the worst thing that the the uh, proponents of the WF can say is that these people are conspiracy-minded. Well, you'd have to be an idiot not to see a conspiracy going on here, as I think I said in my call. That doesn't mean you think there are 12 people meeting in a in a darkened room uh, deciding who will live and who will die in the next in the next 24 hours. But it does mean there are people who do not accept democracy, want to impose their will. And, I mean, goodness, if you want to laugh... Uh, have a look at the link I put in that column to Mark Stein doing his take on Klaus Schwab. And this is a man, uh, Blofeld. <laughs> Schwab is a man who's a cross between Goldfinger and Blofeld mm -hmm. in the James Bond movies. And he, he acts the part of a madman. Here's somebody who wants, to put a, who wants to put a computer chip in your brain so he can know what you're thinking before you have a chance to express it on the Internet. I mean, that's even better than what Justin Trudeau wants to do with the Internet in this country, which is essentially control it, ban it, and, and make sure that no misinformation or hate speech makes, makes it on there, or meaning anything he disagrees with. So Schwab is, is yards, miles ahead of Trudeau, and I think Trudeau will be going in that direction, too. Why not put a, a computer chip in people's brains so you can know what they're thinking before they even have a chance to put it down in writing? That way, it's mass control. And, of course, they'll justify it by saying, well, we're just reading the wills and the minds of the people and to give them what they really need. But, of course, it's 1984 Orwellian nonsense. This is, this is what they're doing to us. 
David Graydon, senior parliament columnist for the Western Standard. Support independent media, westernstandard.news, westernstandard.news. David, great to talk to you again, and uh, hope we'll get, do it again real soon. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. All right, when we come back, space news. Should we live on the moon? That's next. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Someone uh, in an online forum, it's called uh, Nautilus, um, posed a question for Joseph Silk, who's an astrophysicist at Johns Hopkins University, and he's also the author of Back to the Moon, The Next Giant Leap for Humankind. And the question posed to astrophysicist Joseph Silk is a simple one. Uh, Should people live on the moon? Should people live on the moon? Not just because we can, but are there, I guess, practical reasons why we should establish manned colonies on the surface of the moon? Well, we're going to pose that same question to our very own astrophysicist, Dr. Jesse Rogerson, who is an assistant professor of astrophysics at York University. Jesse, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm very well. And uh, I mean, I don't know that I would want to uh, volunteer to live on the moon. It's a pretty stark, uh, it seems a rather inhospitable uh, uh, landscape. But what are just not just because we can, because uh, yeah. it's hard. It's a hard thing to do, as uh, John F. Kennedy once uh, opined uh, in that famous speech. But what are the practical reasons for living on the moon? Well, I mean, it's hard to say because like a practical reason um, a practical reason could be because we can, as you, as you pointed out, it's hard to do. And the, like, for example, going to the moon the first time, the, the, the myriad of uh, spinoff technology that came from that is, is it's really hard to quantify economically. Like if you want to look at it from an economic standpoint, the, the infusion of cash into scientific and engineering development to get to the moon resulted in a ridiculous bunch of spinoffs that we use every day. Computers are a big part of that, but it's not just computer technology, like housing technology, like the, there's material in your shoes and in your clothes and in your glasses and in your, it's everywhere. And we, we may have come across some of that, that technology in different ways, but definitely doing the hard things as, as JFK would say, um, allowed us to really push ourselves forward. So, you know, you could just because you can, um, is, is a good reason. And, uh, I think that it's also the natural, the natural, like we want to do these things not, for no other reason, because we can do them. So I, you know, but like, that's not what you're really asking. Um, what about like practical reasons? I try to, I'm really like grappling about this, like a practical reason. I think that you could make a good reason to be a interplanetary species, um, a good argument. If you look at it from a perspective of like protecting earth. um, So, you know, we could get hit by something and it would be in our best interest to be on multiple places, maybe a small group of people on the moon or maybe a small group of people on Mars or elsewhere in the solar system on space stations and so on. Not, you know, holding all our eggs in one basket is probably a good thing. Uh, but even beyond that, um, the ability practicing going to the moon and living on the moon and practicing going to Mars and living on Mars also develops the technology that may prevent Earth from being destroyed. So, you know, in terms of like a planetary defense, 
learning how to go to the moon and learning how to go to Mars and learning how to engineer those places to be hospitable might also be really useful for engineering Earth to be hospitable and protect Earth from asteroids. I think those are all really good reasons. I guess if we if we are intent on I mean, some people see this as our destiny to be a spacefaring uh, species, and if we're gonna in, if we're gonna uh, colonize the uh, the galaxy, the moon would be you know that first easy step, relatively speaking. Uh, what about uh, in your profession as an astrophysicist? Uh, if we're gonna using the moon as a vantage point to look out mm. into space to sp- spy some of these exoplanets where we might one day inhabit. Oh, my gosh. The the moon is a really interesting place for science, uh, for astronomy uh, in, in particular, because we you, there you can put telescopes on the moon that are there's no atmosphere on the moon. Like one of the problems with putting a telescope on Earth is that you're looking you're underneath 100 kilometers of this turbulent, dusty atmosphere that we need to survive. And that's hard to look through sometimes. Um, so on the moon, you can put a telescope and you're, you don't have to worry about that. You can build them bigger on the moon and even more interesting. You can put telescopes on the far side of the moon, which can, which have night, the far side of the moon has a nighttime that lasts about 15 days. So you have a a vantage point that uh, is very, very well protected, very dark, um, allows you to observe uh, for long periods of time and observe in a way that you really can't from the surface of the earth. So there, there's lots of discussion, you know, uh, concept missions and concept ideas of putting telescopes on the far side uh, to amplify our ability to do science. And I, that, I think that the more we, the more we get out into the solar system, eventually we're going to start building telescopes on the moon. Uh, It's just a natural place to do it. We're also going to build like depots on the moon eventually uh, that would help us get through the solar system, you know, you know, like a a refueling depot or, or packing up materials or something like that. Uh, But I, I also caution that, this idea of like getting humans out into the solar system, uh, you know, the, the earth is the most important place and we, we should always be thinking about it that way. Uh, and the moon is a really inhospitable place and we should always be thinking about it that way as well. Uh, and how does, how does going there help us and how does going there help earth and make it better? Uh, I can't imagine that we'll ever have massive colonies of people on the moon. It's, it's not really, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but small groups of researchers and and interested parties, maybe mining operations. Um, I think that that's a, a natural outcome of where we're going. Yeah. Quick question, because we're just about out of time. Uh, Jesse, do you foresee uh, a colony on the moon within the next 20 years? 20 years? No, I can imagine a, a semi-permanent research outpost where you have structures on the ground uh, and scientists are there semi most of the time, maybe, maybe even almost all the time in a 20 year period. Uh, but like a colony of like a group of humans who are living their lives there. Um, I wouldn't expect that in 20 years. No. All right. Great conversation. Uh, should we live on the moon? Dr. Jesse Rogerson is an associate or an assistant professor of astrophysics at York university. Jesse, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Great job. Looking forward to it. Likewise. That's space news. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing, internet willing. I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken.
that's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.